I'm getting the feeling that early military aviation was dangerous. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. And I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. We all know that the birthplace of aviation in the U.S. is at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, where the Wright brothers took their historic flight in 1903. But would you believe that the birthplace and incubator of American military aviation was in the historic Texas city of San Antonio? From one officer teaching himself how to fly the Wright Flyer to the global reach of Joint Base San Antonio in the 21st century, we take a look at San Antonio, the birthplace of American military aviation. But first, what's your favorite exhibit at the Texas State Fair? Well, my favorite is the Birds of the World show, uh, and it's the same every year, and it's still surprising every time that bird chases the person into the water. <laughs> Besides the corn dog, um, my favorite <laughs> It's not thing, really an exhibit, but it... Yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite thing at the Texas State Fair is, um, well, there's two things. I've only seen one once. Actually, I've only seen them both once. One is the trained cat show, because until I saw that, I didn't know that you could really train cats to do tricks, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. <laughs> and two, there's the puppet show, which is not super great, but is very entertaining because it's got very old world kind of skill involved to it. Creepy. You just, you just don't see marionettes done like that. Except for in being John Malkovich. <laughs> well, I like the butter sculpture because I think it's cholesterolorific. <laughs> <laughs> it's art you can eat art you can eat now how did texas become so associated with american military aviation flying came to texas around the same time it came to the rest of the u.s after several years of small development and contentious lawsuits on the part of the wright brothers and their rivals the first civilian flight by a heavier than aircraft in texas occurred on february 18 1910 a frenchman named louis paulhan flew from a field in houston in his farham three pusher biplane of course, balloons and airships had flown over Texas in the last half of the previous century, and there was even a persistent rumor that a German immigrant in Fredericksburg had flown his own spring-powered airplane in the late 1860s. Those legends were never authenticated, though, so the honors go to Paulhan. Only two weeks after the first civilian flight in Texas, the first military flight occurred on March 2, 1910, at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio. The flyer was Signal Corps Officer Lieutenant Benjamin Fuloy, who took to the air in a right flyer. He'd been assigned by the Army with the instructions to put it together and teach yourself how to fly. Fuloy was a unique character. He'd served as an engineer in the Spanish-American War and later took an interest in balloons and airships, which led him to the Signal Corps. The Signal Corps had been responsible for aviation in the Army since the Civil War, and they trained him as one of their first airship pilots. In 1909, Fuloy got an exhibition flight with Wilbur Wright and became convinced that airplanes were the future. He was initially assigned as one of the first two pilots to get flight training from the Wright brothers, but instead assigned to France to an aviation conference, and this was probably because he'd been speaking out against airships as being a blind alley. Now, he did return to the U.S. in time to get some training with the Wrights, but he wasn't able to solo or land the flyer. The other two pilots who did receive the training were soon recalled to their branches of service. Fuloy was at that point the only member of the Army Signal Corps Aeronautical Division. He'd only flown in a plane a few times and had never soloed or landed, kind of important, but he was tasked with developing the Army's aviation training program with its only asset, a crated Wright military flyer. He decided to head to Fort Sam Houston, the Army base located in San Antonio. 
He selected the location because its favorable weather and wind conditions meant that flying and training could go on year-round. There was also a good water supply and convenient transportation facilities. His first airfield was on the parade ground at Fort Sam. His first day of flying, he had his first solo flight, his first landing, and his first crash. During his initial posting there, as the Army's entire Air Force, he introduced a number of innovations. He replaced the flyer's skids with wheels, added a seatbelt using a cavalry saddle cinch strap, and even used a radio in the plane. He crashed the flyer so many times that he had to get the Army to replace it with the least right flyer number one. Who would give that guy a lease? <laughs> in early 1911, the Army formed the Maneuver Division in San Antonio in response to the growing revolution in Mexico. Foloy was assigned to the division along with two other flyers, Captain Paul Beck and Lieutenant George Kelly, both of whom came with Curtis flyers. This created a rivalry between Beck and Foloy, since Wright and Curtis planes flew differently. But when Kelly was killed in a crash in 1911, the Army ceased all aviation activity, citing the dangers of the aircraft and the cooling of tensions on the border. Signal Corps aviation activity moved to College Park, Maryland, which was outside of Washington, D.C., but it wouldn't be gone long from Texas. In 1913, the Mexican Revolution heated up, and the Army reconstituted the Aviation Service. Foloy was ordered to form the 1st Aero Squadron, consisting of nine pusher-style observation planes, and to move from Augusta, Georgia, to Texas City, Texas. Woohoo! Later in 1914, he became squadron commander and moved the squadron to its permanent base in Foloy's old home, Fort Sam Houston. In 1914, he and several other pilots recommended the grounding of all pusher-type aircraft as unsafe due to the number of deadly crashes in the previous years. The preferred aircraft from that point on was the Curtis JN-4, the famed Ginny. At Fort Sam, Cavalry Remount Station No. 1 was designated Remount Field for the Aero Squadron. In 1915 and 16, the squadron under Foloy and his executive officer Townsend Dodd participated in operations in Mexico. In 1928, Remount Field was renamed for Dodd, who'd been killed in a crash in 1919. In 1916, Signal Corps Commander General George Scriven recommended that the Army establish a permanent military aeronautical center in San Antonio. The rapid rise of military aviation in the World War in Europe and the rapid pace of development of new flying machines showed the facilities at Fort Sam were inadequate. Remount Field at Fort Sam was retained, but it was to be supplemented by additional facilities. Foloy selected a cleared cotton field on Frio City Road, southeast of San Antonio, as the South San Antonio Aviation Camp in mid-1917. It was quickly renamed Kelly Field for his colleague, George Kelly, who'd been killed in 1911. I'm getting the feeling that early military aviation was dangerous. Yeah. We, we've heard about four pilots mentioned, and the only one that's not dead so far is Floyd. Well, it gets better. Okay. Not really. <laughs> When America entered the World War, the facility rapidly grew, annexing three additional tracts of land. Kelly Field became one of the primary training facilities for the new Aero Squadrons, 326 of which were trained there. Over 250,000 pilots, observers, mechanics, and other support personnel were trained at Kelly before shipping out to Europe, including Foloy and Dodd. In late 1917, another facility on the southeast side of San Antonio was opened. Initially, it was called Gosport Field, and later Kelly Field No. 5, before it finally settled on Brooksfield after, you guessed it, an aviation cadet who'd been killed at Kelly in November 1917. Brooksfield served during the war as the principal flight instructor school for the Air Corps. Late in the war, the base was used for airship training, but a spate of accidents resulted in the school moving in 1922. 
Yeah, it's like, this field's bad luck. People keep dying. Let's go to a different field. <laughs> yeah. It'll be better there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, let's see how the rest of this story turns out. San Antonio continued to train Army aviators throughout the years between the World Wars. Kelly Number 1 became renamed to Duncan Field after yet another deceased Army aviator, while Kelly Number 2 was simply known as Kelly Field, which was named for the previous deceased aviator. From 1922, Brooks, also named for a deceased aviator, would serve as the Army's primary flight training school, and cadets who passed that course would move over to Kelly for advanced training in bombing, pursuit, attack, or observation. Duncan Field served mostly as a repair and support field for the other bases in the area, and later housed the Air Corps Training Center headquarters. Many legendary names in aviation either learned to fly at Brooks or Kelly, or had passed through there during this time. Claire Chennault, Curtis LeMay, and Charles Lindbergh were all trained at Brooks or Kelly, and Jimmy Doolittle and the legendary controversial Billy Mitchell were also based at Kelly Field at different points in the 1920s. Now, in a time when the country was wild for airplanes, Kelly Field was at the epicenter of that craze. Pilots and instructors at the field were happy to participate in the earliest air shows and barnstorming exhibitions to raise interest in the air service. Jimmy Doolittle used Kelly as the only refueling stop for his 1922 transcontinental flight. Kelly was also the start of the 1926 Pan American Goodwill flight, in which Air Corps flyers toured to various Central and South American cities. The ultimate publicity stunt, though, was the Air Corps' commitment to provide pilots, aircraft, extras, and facilities to director William Wellman for the Paramount Pictures film Wings in 1927. Starring Clara Bow, Buddy Rogers, and a very young Gary Cooper, this silent movie about a love triangle between young pilots headed to war was a huge hit, and the amazing real flying sequences are still celebrated today. Film historians still debate whether the stunts in the film were filmed by Wellman or was actual combat footage shot during the war. The film went on to win the very first Academy Award for Best Picture in 1928. That's a little-known bit of history that around this time, a young racing pilot from California was blown up when he attempted to use an experimental rocket pack. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. That's another movie that you saw in the 90s. Wait, no, they fight on top of a Zeppelin, and then his rocket pack blows up. No, 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 that's just Hollywood. Now, actually, the stories, the stories about the filming of this movie, it took, it took them nine months to film this movie, and uh, uh, the stories of the debauchery involved really aren't suitable for this PG-rated podcast, but you should go and read up about the making of Wings. It's acting, darling, it's acting. In the late 1920s, again, as aircraft technology advanced, It was determined that the basic and primary facilities located at Brooks and Duncan were not sufficient for proper training, and a much larger airfield was required. A new site was selected northeast of San Antonio, near the town of Schertz, for the new base. It was designed with an unusual circular base layout between the two new runways, the brainstorm of a dispatch officer from the motor pool. The Army would only pay for the construction costs of the base. The city of San Antonio, if it wanted the facility, would have to buy the land. Construction began in 1927 and was the largest construction project undertaken by the military since the Panama Canal. Primary flight training moved from Brooks, Duncan, and March Field in California to Randolph Field, named after the Texas A&M graduate who'd been killed in a plane crash while serving on the naming selection committee for the new base. (laughs) That's bad luck. (laughs) Randolph Field would be positioned by San Antonio and the Air Corps as the West Point of the Air, and with Kelly Field remaining the location for advanced training for the Air Corps, this was an accurate description. That would even be the name of another Hollywood movie filmed in San Antonio in 1935, starring Wallace Beery. 
You know, if you ever ask yourself that question, gee, I wonder what they named this for. <laughs> and you happen to be on airbase. I'd like to have an airfield named after me someday. As war clouds grew in Europe and Asia, the chronically underfunded Air Corps finally got the attention it needed from Washington. In 1939, Kelly Field was given a $300 million overhaul, with runway expansions, offices, classrooms, barracks, hangars, and other facilities being built. The complex of quarters for the enlisted men was so extravagant compared to the wooden shacks the men had lived in that it became known as Buckingham Palace. From 1939 to 1943, nearly 10,000 pilots went through advanced training at Kelly Field, ranging from heavy bombing to night fighting and everything in between. In 1941, Kelly Field expanded again, opening the San Antonio Aviation Cadet Center, where pilot cadets would learn the mechanics and physics of flight before going on to get the basic instruction at Randolph Field. Brooks was initially used to train pilots flying small observation craft, and Duncan Dodd and the civilian Stinson Field were also used for support, repair, and training facilities. By 1943, air congestion from the four major airfields operating in the same area resulted in a significant change in operations at the San Antonio Fields. Kelly and Duncan, located right next to each other, were combined into one facility, which was focused entirely on logistics and supplies for the other Texas bases. Brooks shifted to training bomber pilots on two-engine aircraft. Randolph became the host base for the Central Instructors School, training over 15,000 training instructors for the Army Air Forces. It also fielded a collegiate football team that tied the University of Texas at the 1944 Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Throughout World War II, San Antonio was the center of developing the Air Force that helped win the war. When peace came, the air bases in San Antonio were rapidly scaled down. At Kelly Field alone, over 3,000 civilian workers resigned within a few weeks of VJ Day, although newly built P-51 Mustangs, B-29 Superfortresses, and AT-6 trainers continued to be delivered there to be placed in storage. War-weary aircraft of all types were also sent to Kelly to be stripped for spare parts for the aircraft the Air Force was going to keep. In the post-war years, as the Air Force became a separate service branch, the focuses of the other fields became different and unique. The Aviation Cadet Center continued to provide boot camp and technical training to recruits and was designated Lackland Air Force Base in 1948. Basic flight training was initially moved back to Randolph in 46, but in 48, the training focus changed back to training instructor pilots. Brooks Air Force Base served as a flight training center for the Air Force Reserve and later, in the 1950s, transitioned into one of the leading centers for aerospace medical research. Kelly Field became Kelly Air Force Base. It stopped servicing the heavy bombers and instead became the primary logistical support base for aircraft supporting the occupations of Germany and Japan. It was the only airbase in the U.S. that was capable of servicing and overhauling the four-engine C-54 Skymaster transport aircraft. This distinction became critical in the summer of 48 when the Soviet Union blockaded Allied-occupied Berlin. The C-54 was the workhouse of the monumental effort to airlift supplies to the beleaguered city. This became known as the Berlin Airlift. The Korean War saw continued activity for all of the San Antonio bases. The crews at Kelly rapidly recommissioned the B-29s kept in storage, and Randolph moved the instructor pilot school to Alabama in order to train the crews that would man them. Throughout the Cold War, Lackland provided basic military training to airmen and officers, and in the 60s added air defense command radar and FAA air traffic control facilities. Randolph continued its mission of training pilots how to fly, and Brooks turned into a world-class aeronautical sciences research center. Kelly Air Force Base remained the most important logistics, repair, overhaul, and supply facility for the Air Force's big bombers and heavy transports. 
During the Vietnam War, most of the men, supplies, and aircraft headed to Vietnam routed through Kelly. In the 1980s, the field was even designated as a primary refuel stop for the 747 transport aircraft hauling the space shuttle from California to Florida. The end of the Cold War and the gradual consolidation of military bases throughout the 1990s hit San Antonio hard. Brooks Air Force Base, which hadn't had a plane take off or land since 1960, was identified for closure in 1995. Ownership and development of the facility was gradually transitioned from the Air Force to the city of San Antonio between 2002 and 2011. It is now Brooks City Base, a mixed-use development community that includes housing, industry, a University of Texas San Antonio medical research facility, and the city's emergency operations center. Randolph Air Force Base actually expanded its operations during the base closure period, becoming the primary training center for all systems operations officers for the Air Force's heavy aircraft, and even adding training responsibilities for the Navy, Marines, and Coast Guard. Sadly, Kelly Air Force Base, San Antonio's longest operational Air Force Base, was identified for closure first in 92 and again in 95. Flight operations were transferred to Lackland, and Kelly became the Kelly Field Annex. A large portion of the base was transferred to the city of San Antonio to make up their inland port facilities, but large parts of the base remain unusable because of decades of toxic waste dumping by the military. Officer training was removed from Lackland, and a large part of the logistical operations formerly performed at Kelly are now performed by civilian contractors and agencies on base. However, most of the Air Transport Command facilities and functions remain at Lackland, as does a Texas Air National Guard fighter wing. Today, Lackland Air Force Base, Randolph, and Fort Sam Houston are all merged into one entity known as Joint Base San Antonio, and the tradition of military life being a critical component of San Antonio's culture and history remains strong. I'm really glad that I was not a, uh, a pilot in the early days of military aviation. It sounds very, very dangerous. Being a pilot any time in the early days of aviation <laughs> yeah. was dangerous. Yeah, the only base that was not named after a deceased pilot was Lackland, and he'd been a commander at Randolph Air Force Base before. Good for him. Yeah, he, he was okay. Well, but he, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a dangerous time. And uh, that's what's great about Falloy is he, he really had never really truly flown a plane in all levels. But he was given a crated plane and told, go put it together and figure out how to fly it. Here's a plane. Put it together and fly it. And the funny story about him, he was on, um, what was the show in the 50s where they had a blind panel of people and they said, you know, this person, you know, say, who, guess who they are. This is your life. Yeah, it was This Is Your Life. He was on This Is Your Life. And he, you know, his, his tagline was, I was the entire United States Air Force. <laughs> uh, and he was, he was in his 80s at the time. And uh, he was one of the old men of, of, of the Air Force. But he, he's one of those lost legendary figures. Well, there's no Falloy Field, but... Uh, no, no, he, he did. He, he lived, lived into his 90s, or 80s yeah. or 90s, so he didn't get a field named after him. Actually, there, I believe there is some facilities named after him. Yeah, he was probably like, whew, <laughs> they didn't name one after me. Yeah. Talking about San Antonio and the Air Force bases, being a little kid there, you know, there, there's, it's all military. It's, it's like a completely yeah. crazy military town. There's so much military stuff going on. And there's a part of the story when we're talking about all the air traffic going on. I know we're jumping around here, but, but with the air traffic going on, and I can remember it was September 11th. This isn't September 2011. I'm talking about 2001. But uh, a couple, like a day or two after, I went down to San Antonio and I visited my parents. And it was very interesting because when you're in San Antonio, there is constant air traffic. I mean, there's always... 
commercial, civilian, and military air traffic on, and it was blue skies and dead air, and it was very strange and surreal because it'd been it'd been a, it'd been almost a hundred years since there hadn't been airplanes buzzing around San Antonio, right? And you know, you look at a map of San Antonio, especially one from the '80s, and between Fort Sam Houston, which is one of the largest military bases in the the country, and the other Air Force bases. It's a a ring around the city of yeah. San Antonio, yeah. almost continuous. Yeah, I remember, you know, as a kid driving down the highway, and I loved to look at the map. You know, I'd ask my parents to get the map out of the glove box so I could look at it. And I always used to like looking at the, you know, the zoomed in sections on all the cities. Yeah. And I remember, like you said, looking at San Antonio. I was like, oh, here's a big yellow box or whatever color yeah. it was that's not anything but military. And it yeah. was all around the city. Well, and, and that's that's the thing about San Antonio is even even when Mexico had San Antonio and Spain had San Antonio, the, the Presidio was an important part of San Antonio life. The military was an important part of the life. And in the 1840s and 50s and 60s and even into the cavalry era, the military was an, the army was an important part of San Antonio life. So there's this continuous heritage of military in San Antonio and then like you said, you go back as far as you can in aviation history, period. And San Antonio is a part of that. Kelly Field and Fort Sam Houston and Randolph Air Force Base, it is an important part of that, that heritage. So that's what's great about San Antonio, I think. We just talked about the commemorative Air Force, and they have two famous places, the B-17 and the B-29. But a friend of mine, her grandfather was pilot in command, Uh, He flew both of those planes. He flew 38 missions over Germany, and and then he flew the B-29 during the Berlin airlift. So he he was in Kelly at that time. Like, everybody went through Mm -hmm. Kelly, especially Kelly, for the longest time. That was just, you were were there. And even now, um, Maid of Honor or Wedding is a Master Sergeant in the Air Force, and... They were stationed in San Antonio for a while. Like mm-hmm. everybody, everybody spends a little time in San Antonio when you have anything to do with the Air Force and, and the military too. I mean, just pretty much anybody's. It's a great place to visit, by the way. There's lots of tourists, and you go to the <laughs> Riverwalk and mm-hmm. you know go take a boat ride. But a lot of the, I think you make a good point, is that a lot of the, if you flew a plane during the First World War or the Second World War, it's a good chance that you were trained in San Antonio at at, at one of these fields. It's yeah, it's because we think of. When we think of the classic dogfighters and, you know, with the with the scarfs in the wind and, and the, yeah. you know, but it's like, oh, no, they were in a dusty field in the middle of San Antonio on a hot summer. You know, it was 100 degrees and they were in, living in a, a tent out in the field. Well, and especially if you flew in on or worked on a multi-engined aircraft, that's really where Kelly and these... Uh, Kelly and Brooks came in was these big the bombers and stuff which is in the transports especially which was the really the hard work of the war you know the, the the fighter pilots get all the glamour and they were trained in different places but those guys who 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 hauled all the equipment and who flew those planes across the ocean for thousands of miles and who worked on those engines they were trained there now this might be slightly a little off topic but I know a few years ago you and I Sean and I had a conversation about the evolution of the military, that especially the Air Force, that you know it started out with fighters, and then the fighter guys gave way to the bomber guys, mm-hmm. and then the bomber guys have now given way to the logistical guys, mm-hmm. and you see the evolution of the American Air Force has moved from various support missions 
and objectives. And as it's transformed, so have the bases, but not right. just the bases, but also the communities around them. And we think of San Antonio as being this, the heart of the revolution. It was the heart of Texas for the longest time, and it was the biggest city in Texas. But it's also interesting because it's the heart of the American Air Force. Right. really in San Antonio. Because and, you yeah. can't be there. You can't be there and not go see, you not see all the air bases and see all the memorials and see all the military people that live there and, and work, the, work there. And the, and the symbol or the, 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 the defining characteristic of the modern military is, is that the defined services are not quite so defined anymore. And so you have, it's not Fort Sam Houston and Kelly air force base. They're like Randolph and Lackland air force base. Those are components of joint base San Antonio. And you have Navy and Marine pilots uh, and systems engineers and people training there, not just army and air force. And that's really kind of the, the, the modern model of the military. And, and San Antonio is right at the forefront of that. Cool. Well, I think San Antonio is a fantastic place. If you're going to start an Air Force, yeah. that's where I would go first. Yeah, I will point out that we mentioned that for a period of time that they moved the, the first Aero Squadron to, yes, Texas City, to Texas City, which turns out is probably not a good place to no. keep a bunch of airplanes. No, no. Right especially there, right not there a bunch of coast. especially wooden fabric airplanes. Especially when you grow up there and you know where the, the base was and you try to imagine, like, you know, hurricanes and all of that stuff and why why would you put and anything there? flying there but it, but mosquitoes last little bit of of personal history around the san antonio story those bases are are interesting because my grandfather ended up stationed during one during world war ii which is where he met my grandmother because she was a liberty bell at a uso dance and then they got married and he stayed in tech moved from cleveland to texas and stayed here but also um my other grandmother worked, um, there was all these other people, especially in World War II, she worked as a machinist on the base. And then my grandfather, many years later, worked as a, as a uh, metallurgist at Kelly Field. So there's not just the military personnel, but there's a huge civilian and impact. But it all started on a dusty field with one guy with one airplane in a crate. Yeah, on a parade ground. <laughs> on a parade ground at Fort Sam. Yeah. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can also find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Matt Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show... Tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.